Last week in that passage on waiting, we talked a little bit about remembering. Um, We said that uh, in the writer of Psalm 42 and 43, in his season of despair, one of his kind of responses to that season was using the discipline of remembering to find hope when everything seemed hopeless. And so today we're going to zoom in on that particular practice of remembering and go a little bit deeper. Uh, But before we get into our passage, I want to say a few general comments about remembering in the Bible. It's a really big topic, and our passage doesn't get us into all of the different dimensions. So I just want to say a few words about it. Remembering is an important discipline throughout the Bible, but especially in the Old Testament. In the section of the Psalms that we're looking at today, we're in Psalm 105. There's several Psalms around this one that all deal with the the issue, the topic, the discipline of remembering. So if you go to our Psalm 105 and go either direction, forward or backward, you run into a Psalm immediately that talks about the value of remembering. So in Psalm 104, uh, the people are remembering God's mighty acts in creation and drawing conclusions from that, remembering about who God is and how he can act in the future. If you go one forward to 106, uh, the psalmist there is remembering how the Israelites were disobedient in the wilderness when they were wandering between being delivered from Egypt and entering the promised land. And so there's a lot of material in these passages about um, the, the value of remembering, and there's a lot of different things that we can remember. Um, remembering is also a central theme in the book of Deuteronomy, which is a book that it's hard to get to because it comes, it's early in your year through the Bible reading and you get bogged down in the law and stuff, but it's really, it's a good one. So if you can spend some time there, I highly recommend it. Um, you get bogged down in Leviticus and then it's hard to move on to Deuteronomy. Um, but in the book of Deuteronomy, the people are encouraged to remember 15 different times and they are warned about forgetting another 10 times. So that means in one book, 25 times, the Israelites are reminded of the benefits of remembering and warned about the dangers of forgetting. So it's a really important um, theme there. There's a, the benefits of remembering, the, there's a close relationship in the Bible between remembering things and being faithful to God. So when we remember we are prompted to behave in ways that honor God. Especially in Deuteronomy, when you remember that you were once slaves in Egypt, then you can be just to other people who are experiencing oppression. When you remember that you were once wandering around homeless in the desert, then you can be hospitable to migrants and people who move into your land. And when you remember that all of your wealth, however small it is or however large it is, is a gift from God, then you can be generous. On the other hand, there's also a close relationship between forgetting and unfaithfulness. So in Deuteronomy, God reminds the people, when you forget that you were slaves in Egypt, you may be tempted to think that you're better than those who are oppressed and treat them unjustly. And if you forget that you were once wandering around homeless in the desert, you may be defensive about your land and refuse to let people find refuge there. And if you forget that your wealth is a gift from God, then you will become proud and stingy, and you will think, I earned mine, now they should earn theirs, and that is not the kind of ethic that God wants for his people. 
So the benefits of remembering, the dangers of forgetting, kind of remind us that last week we talked about remembering as a way to find hope in a season of despair. And that's one really crucial benefit of remembering. But remembering has all these other functions too. And maybe the simplest way to summarize it is that memory, remembering shapes our moral and ethical imagination. It helps us to keep ourselves in the right perspective. It reminds us who God is and who we are and what we owe our neighbor. So there's a deep um, kind of value to this practice of remembering. That's why in Deuteronomy, God prescribes seven festivals throughout the year and a weekly Sabbath. And all of them have a focus of remembering something God has done and remembering who we are and what we owe back to the people uh, that we live around. Which is to say that rather than thinking of remembering as an occasional, like one-off sort of discipline we do now and then, it's probably better for us to think about developing a lifestyle of remembering. And instead of just aiming to be individuals who practice uh, the discipline of remembering, it's probably better for us to aim to become a community of remembrance, a group of people who are always remembering what God has done and who we are and what that means for how we live in the world. And with that, I want to turn to our passage 105. And we're going to look at three things in the passage. For those of you who like a map, here's the map. We're going to look at how to remember, what to remember, and why to remember in Psalm 105. Before we do that, can I pray for us that God will speak to us in the passage? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you again that it speaks to all of our experiences. If we listen to you and hear you kind of speak in your own voice, we recognize that there's nothing we face that you haven't given us some reference to in your scriptures, and we thank you for that. We thank you that we can bring you our hard questions, that we can bring you our frustrations, and we thank you that however we came in the room today, that you are mighty to act. We pray that you would open your word for us, and that you would speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so the first thing, how to remember. I have really good news for uh, anyone in the room who's like me. As we move from these general comments into talking about remembering specifically in our passage, some of you might feel anxious at the very idea that a command uh, of a command to remember. You might think, if my intimacy with God requires me to not forget things or to recall the right things at the right time or basically remember anything at all, I'm doomed. And I get that because several times a day, I forget why I came into this particular room or why I opened the refrigerator or where my keys are or where my phone is or whatever else. And so the idea that my intimacy with God relies on my ability to remember things feels a little bit overwhelming, and it might feel that way to you. But I've got some good news because the first few verses of our psalm give us a pretty long list of activities that all fall under the broad heading of remembering. Let's listen to those. This is Psalm 105, verses 1 to 4. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the peoples. Sing to him, sing praises to him, tell of all his wondrous works, glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Seek the Lord and his strength, seek his presence 
continually. I may not look like it on the face of it, but by my count, there are at least six verbs, maybe more, in that first few verses that describe what remembering looks like. It looks like giving thanks. It looks like singing to God. It looks like making known his works and telling of his deeds, glorying and rejoicing in his name. And none of those are just cognitive activities where I sit and try to conjure up the right thoughts or the right memories. Another way to say this is that from this long list of things here in Psalm 105, we can see that remembering is not just a mental activity. It's not just about calling certain things to mind. It's an active experience. It's something we do out loud. And it's something that gets our whole bodies involved, singing, telling, proclaiming, etc., So here at Roosevelt Community Church, if you just take an ordinary month out of the calendar, we actively remember in all of these ways. We give thanks in prayer on a Sunday morning. We sing every Sunday about what God has done for us. We did it this morning. Our pastors make known God's works through his word. We hear stories from missionaries and other Christians who tell about God's work in our community and in other communities around the world. We glory in God's holy name when we take communion and remember Christ's sacrifice for us. And on some schedule, I don't know if it's once a month, we end our service with the Apostles' Creed, and that's another act of remembering as we rehearse what God has done in this sort of concise form in the Creed. And these are all examples of, um, or these all, these are all examples of the way that we actively remember together. These uh, examples tell us something else about remembering, not only that it's active, but also that it's corporate. It's something that we don't just have to summon up by ourselves, but that we do as a group. And this is great for those of us either whose memory fails us or for those of us whose energy or enthusiasm fails us on occasion. Somebody in the room came in this morning reluctantly by the skin of their teeth because someone dragged them here. Our children, for example, at least one of, at least half of them, you know, are here for that reason. And what's great is we don't have to come here on like and summon up our energy to remember what God has done, because as a group we start to testify to what God has done and minister to one another through it. So Crystal and the worship team lead us in remembering every single week when we come into this place and start to worship. This is such a gift to me because very often the thing that I find the most moving in the service is hearing the rest of the congregation sing. I love the sound of your voices singing in the morning. And there are times when I think, I'm not sure I'm feeling that God is good, but I'm hearing you say that God is good. And it's causing me to remember how God has acted on my behalf in the past. It brings me into remembering and then into fellowship with God and with you. This is also, just side note, a great argument for sitting a little closer to the front. It's not, because, you know, sound travels this way um, for most of the service. And uh, it's not more holy up here, but the sound is better. So if you sit in the back, you can't really hear people singing. But if you sit up close, then you get to hear all those voices kind of reminding you of who God is and what he does. I say all that when I'm not speaking, I sit in the back. But you should sit in the front because that's where... The sound is better. Just trying to keep it real. Now, you can all obviously do all of these things 
all by yourself, you can give thanks, you can sing to God, you can make known his works, you can tell of what he's done in your life, you can rejoice, you can do all of those things alone, and we should. It's a great practice, Amy mentioned last week, making a list of the ways that you see God show up in your life, in the very mundane ways. That's an act of remembrance. We can sing wherever it's appropriate, anytime we want, all by ourselves. We can make known God's works and tell others about God's faithfulness, whether that's an evangelistic situation, telling our neighbor, hey, I want to tell you about this thing that God did in my life, or if it's telling another fellow uh, brother or sister in Christ. But whether we are remembering individually or we are remembering corporately, our aim should be to become a community that remembers, a group of people who is known for remembering what God has done and proclaiming what God has done so that all of us can remember God's faithfulness all the time. So that's our first point. How do we remember? We remember actively and corporately. What do we remember? That takes us to verse 5, our second point. What do we remember? There's an unexhaustive list in verse 5. It says, remember the wondrous works that he has done, his miracles, and the judgments he uttered. So there's a list of things that we can remember. What The miracle, miraculous works in the past, his deeds and helping, and the things that he has said that are true, proclaiming his judgments. Now re- recall that the next psalm, Psalm 106, is a long song remembering how badly Israel disobeyed in the wilderness. So remembering our own disobedience is also a thing that we can remember. This isn't an exhaustive list, but it's a really great place to start in thinking, in remembering and beginning to let that remembering shape our imagination. Here's the coolest part, in my view, of this whole psalm. It's uh, the first few verses are about, or an exhortation for people of God to remember what God has done. Um, But the vast majority of the psalm is actually not about us remembering. It's actually about God remembering. So look at verse 8. We're encouraged to sing. We're encouraged to give thanks. We're encouraged to remember. And then verse 8 says, He remembers his covenant forever. The promise he made for a thousand generations. The covenant he made with Abraham. The oath he swore to Isaac. He confirmed it to God as a decree. To Israel as an everlasting covenant. So, kind of the centerpiece of this passage about God's people being people who remember is actually a very long discussion about God remembering the things that he has promised to do. And it may sound strange to talk about God remembering, because some of us in here will be like, oh, wait, if God remembers things, then does he forget things? And then down the rabbit hole you go. The short answer is no, God does not forget things. There is only one thing in the Bible that God has said to ever forget, which is in Jeremiah 31, 34, prophecy about the new covenant. There it says, I will forgive their wickedness and I will remember their sins no more. The only thing the Bible says that God forgets is our sins. That's the good news of the gospel, which we'll come back to in just a minute. But what that means is that when the Bible says God remembers something, it doesn't mean that it slipped his mind and now he's called it back to mind. It means that he's keeping a promise or he's, mighty, he's acting mightily to save. So throughout the Old Testament, 
God remembers a number of really key things at really pivotal times in Israel's history. In Genesis 8, he remembers Noah, and then he causes the waters of the flood to subside. In Genesis 19, he remembers Abraham, and he preserves the life of Lot, who's Abraham's nephew. In Genesis 30, he remembers Rachel, and then he opens her womb so that she can bear a child. In Exodus 2, he remembers the Israelites crying out in slavery, and he delivers them miraculously. In Revelation 18, he remembers the sins of Babylon, and he calls down his judgment upon them. So it's fitting that our remembering should be active, because God's remembering is always active. Whenever God remembers, the next thing that happens is he moves mightily to save. And it's fitting that our remembrance should be corporate and public because these things that God does when he remembers are often done in front of the whole nation of Israel and all of their neighbors so there can be no mistake that God is at work. So God's remembering is active and it's public, it's corporate. Our remembering should be active and corporate and public. I'm not going to read the whole thing because it's very long, but verses 11 to 44, the, the most of the rest of our passage here is actually a mini record of what happens when God remembers. It tells us the kinds of things that we should remember ourselves. So just kind of walking through some bullets, and you should read this for yourself this week, but it tells us that um, God preserves the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, as they wandered around in the space that would eventually become the promised land. And the passage tells us that God made a place for the patriarchs in Egypt by sending a famine and then sending Joseph, the son of Jacob, into Egypt with a plan to save the nation and to save the region. And then he brought Israel into that place and he prospered them. He made them fruitful and made them multiply. And then as they grew and the Egyptians' hearts turned against Israel, God sent Moses to lead the people out with a series of miracles. And then he provided for them miraculously in the wilderness. Our psalm gives us a record of these things. He did all this, it says in verse 42, for he remembered his holy promise and Abraham his servant. So what should we remember? We should remember God's promises. We should remember his wondrous works and his mighty deeds. And we should remember above all that our God is a God who remembers. And that that remembrance is always spells deliverance for us. How do we remember? We remember actively and corporately. And it brings us to our final point. Why do we remember? Our passage doesn't answer this question directly, but it points us in a couple of right directions. I want to follow those. A first reason is implied in verse 1, where it says, make known his deeds among the peoples or among the nations. This means not the other Israelites, but all the other peoples in the world. So remembering has a benefit, an advantage to us. It can help us when we're in despair. It can help us to remember what God has done so that we can give him praise and we feel confident in his ability to save in the future. But our remembering doesn't only benefit us within the family of faith it also has an evangelistic impact. It's an opportunity for us to tell people who are outside the family of faith about God's promises and his works and invite them to put their faith in that same God too. 
And there's a principle here in the Bible that I find really helpful. There are a number of things that we are commanded to do in the scriptures because God does them. And we're supposed to be like God. One of those things is loving impartially because God loves everyone impartially. He sends his reign on the just and on the unjust. We are commanded to give, I'm sorry, we're commanded to forgive because God has forgiven us. There are other things that we are commanded not to do because only God is allowed to do them. Those things include not judging because judgment belongs to the Lord. It includes not seeking vengeance because vengeance belongs to the Lord, right? Now, remembering falls in this first category. We are encouraged to remember God's mighty acts because God performed those mighty acts when he remembered his promises. See that? God's a remembering God when he remembers, he acts to save. When we remember what he did to save us, then we give back a gift um, and kind of imaging him back as people who remember. So our remembering is a shadow of God's remembering. And that's a gift that we can give people outside the faith to testify to who God is and that God is a God who remembers. I think this is so important because whether people realize it or not, everyone craves the security and the love and the support of a God who remembers. The God who performs miracles and pronounces judgments and makes covenants and keeps them and executes justice and makes his people fruitful and faithful and flourishing, who delivers his people. If we were a community who faithfully imaged and embodied this remembering God through our own remembering, people would beat down the doors to join us because we're hungry, all of us, for this kind of God and this kind of remembering. We could we, and we should, of course, remember God's work in our own lives and our personal experience so we can tell of his works in previous generations as well as in our own in order to give testimony to who God is. A second reason that we remember is that remembering also testifies to who we are. So um, I know I told personal stories last week. I'm going to tell another personal story this week. But then you won't hear from me for a while, so it'll be okay. It just averages out over the year. A few years ago, I was in a major rut. And to quote the prophet Bono, I was stuck in a moment and I couldn't get out of it, right? Um, it was a really weird sensation that I've never had before and I've never had since where it really did feel to me like the only thing that existed was right now. I had a hard time recalling recent events and decisions and why we were doing some of the things that we were doing, how we got here, and why, why is this hard, what's going on? Like, it was just was very fuzzy to me. But I was also having a really hard time imagining a future. And the way I felt this at work was people would say, hey, can we have a meeting in November? And I'm like, November doesn't exist. Like, what, what do you, it was hard for me physically to like put a thing on a calendar because it seemed like I was, it was like, sure, let's do an imaginary meeting in an imaginary month in the future. You know, it just was really weird. And if you're here and thinking, maybe you should see a specialist about this, um, you're right, and I did, and I'm better, okay? But what helped more than therapy in this situation was spending time with my extended family. We didn't go there for that reason, but we went for other reasons. And my mom's people, as we say in the South, are 
expert storytellers. And whenever we spend time together, there's a lot of card playing and there's a lot of storytelling, generations of reminiscences. My generation and my cousins, my mom's generation and her cousins, my grandparents' generation and their siblings and their aunts and uncles and everybody else. And we just sit around and we tell stories that we have all heard a thousand times before. And everyone always tells them exactly the same way. And everybody's got their own like repertoire. So it's like granddaddy tells these stories and Aunt Wanda tells these stories and right, like it's everybody's got their role. Everybody reacts exactly the same way every time we tell the stories. And for my whole life, I loved it. It was my favorite thing to sit and hear these stories. And during that particular visit, hearing those old stories told the same old way by the same people over and over again kind of cracked something open for me. And it suddenly gave me an imagination to say, oh, this is where I come from. And this is, these are the people I'm descended from. These pranksters and these, you know, good folks. And the, what, th these are my people, and that helps me remember who I am. I'm the kind of person who comes from this. And it helped me begin to imagine a future as people were rehearsing the kinds of griefs and losses that our family has overcome and the joys and accomplishments we've celebrated. And because all of those generations contain people of faith, there were also stories of how God had acted faithfully over generations. And for me, that corporate act of remembering through those storytelling was like the beginning of returning to health for me. It helped put me in time and space. And the reason I'm telling you all this is because at the end of the day, we are what we remember. We are what we remember. Our personal identities are shaped by what we remember, and our corporate identities as a group, as a church, are shaped by the memories that we share together. And our, what we remember is shaped by what we rehearse. If we are rehearsing the grief and the sadness and the sorrow over and over on ourselves, that affects how we see who we are and what we are. When we rehearse the ways that God has showed up for us, it begins to shift for us. And we begin to recognize that when we remember God and his promises, we're testifying to who he is. He's the God who makes promises and keep them. But we're also testifying to who we are because we are the people that God makes promises to. And we are the people that he acts mightily to save. And we are the people that he remembers and then springs into action. That's who we are. And so when we remember, we're testifying to who God is, which is good for us and it's good for everybody else. We're also saying something true about ourselves. That God is faithful to a thousand generations and those generations are us. That's who we are, people who are kept in his hand. Most importantly, we are a generation who has seen all of God's promises fulfilled in Jesus. The gospel is God's greatest act of remembrance. It's his greatest act of promise keeping. 1 Corinthians 1.20 says, For all the promises of God find their yes in Jesus. And for that reason, we also say amen through him to the glory of God. So through the Holy Spirit, we are reminded of what God has done, who he is and who we are. And through the Holy Spirit, we are empowered to respond in faith and gratitude 
and to be a remembering people who testify to our remembering God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I'm so thankful. Over and over, I'm thankful that my faithfulness, that your faithfulness does not depend on my faithfulness. And that my intimacy with you does not depend on me summoning up that closeness, but simply remembering and resting in who you are and what you've done. And in what those uh, wondrous deeds and mighty acts and kept promises tell me about who I am and who all of us are. So we thank you for your word and we thank you for a community that calls us to remember the ways that you have shown up for us. And we ask that you would help us to give that testimony back to each other and to the world. In Jesus' name, amen.